Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. G'day, mate. I'm John. I've had a gut full. I'm all always sitting here. Some little kid's being touched up. What do you think about that? I don't think they should be doing that. I don't think they should be doing that, do yeah. you? You want to go up again? Yeah. You're a national, mate. <laughs> you think the mum's going to like this? Probably not, but who cares? <laughs> do you mind if I stay over? Of course, mate. You ever shot a gun before? Feel good? So why not do something about it? This is Bubba Barry. I thought you should know I'm on my way to Queensland. I don't know if I'm going to hitch all the way or catch the bus. Don't reckon I'll be home for a while, mate. Can you tell Mum? Welcome to Horror vs. Reality. I'm your host, Anastasia, as always, and Morgan is with me. Say hello, Morgan. Hello, Morgan. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And with us today, we are pleased to announce that we have the Evidence Locker. Yay! Hello! Please introduce yourselves, guys. I'm Noel. I'm the host of Evidence Locker. And I'm Sonia. I'm the creator. Hi, guys. We're so excited to have you here. Thank you for having nice us. Nice to meet you guys. Yes, we're very honored to have both of you with us. Like Anna was saying before we started recording, we've been following you for quite a while now and got Pretty some good much. content. Pretty much. And we met, Thank you. We met on Instagram just realizing that we have the same interests in little bit of um, offbeat cases. Yeah, totally. That's why I love you guys so much. Noel is a big horror fan, so it's it's a great friendship. Yeah. 
We all know if there's a genre, it's horror. Absolutely. <laughs> um, okay, so today's episode is Snowtown 2011 versus the Bodies in the Barrels murder. With an S. <laughs> Murders. Um, it is a horrendous case. Don't let my giddy attitude fool you. Um, I'm <laughs> just really, I'm just really excited to have the evidence locker here. But this case is, it's honestly the worst case we've covered since Carla uh, and Paul Bernardo. Yeah, yeah, yeah it was very like that. It's actually quite a good um, a link between the two because they both just ruthless and no real motivation. And they both killed family members. Yes. Yeah. Anybody was up for grabs, yeah, 100%. Yeah, and the brutality, too. The just cold-bloodedness of it. Both of them. I got way too deep into reading the case files, and I had to, like, stop several times. (laughs) Have you seen the film? film? Yes. Yes. That's a requirement. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, well, that's, that's actually good. Good, I'm just testing you. No, um, <laughs> I think you would agree. That one take, like, even as, from a film standpoint, just for two hours, it's it's a hard one to wash off. It really is. I was telling Morgan before we started recording that I had a dark cloud hanging over me for the rest of the day after watching that. And I started it at, like, 10 yeah. o'clock in the morning. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I, think, I think we're all in that same boat. It definitely does something to you. Yeah, I ended up in the fetal position sucking my thumb. <laughs> yeah, I and, I, and I have researched some cases, believe me. Yeah, after yes, the yes, dog you have. So when, when something makes you bat an eye and look the other way, it's like, wow, what's happening in that one? It is one. This is also a case that I said we'd never do, and then we did end up doing it. Um, if we, if, if For your listeners, if they don't know, we are actually two expats who live in Australia. So it was for our 150th episode that we thought that an Australian episode would be a good idea. Um, it's a good uh, fit, but it's it, it was a really tough one to research and do. Oh, I bet. Especially with all the families being alive still um, and, you know, the victims and everybody's still, you know, talking about it, still not, you know, in the past. This is pretty recent. <laughs> It also, I think, is just something that, that I, and I can't say because I've never actually walked through the neighborhood, but I would imagine this is something that just sort of, you know, marks that neighborhood. There's a stigma on it because of all this kind of stuff. Because it, it definitely, you know, as we, as you can see, like in the film, because they shot in the real place, like, it's just, it doesn't look like it's paradise. I'll put it that way. And let's um, correct, uh, make, make a little distinction here. The neighborhood you're talking about is Salisbury North which is about an hour and a half away from Snowtown. Right. So although it's called the Snowtown murders, the actual murders occurred somewhere else. Snowtown is just where the bodies were kept. Yeah, it was close to Adelaide, correct? Yes. Yes, yes. Yeah, because yeah, I'll talk about that later about the, you know, the atmosphere of Adelaide during that time with all the ch- child abuse and violence and rapes and serial killers and missing children and all that. That was just like a terrible time for around Adelaide. I feel like. Well, even in the microcosm of just, you know, within, when this group of, of killers and, and this group of murders is like, 
they all seem to come from that sort of background. There was always some sort of sexual abuse or molestation or something in their history. So that's, that's sort of interesting. Yeah, they all had that. And then they took on this weird, I'm going to become God or, you know, the hand of justice. And then I'm just going to steal your money. Yeah, it, was, it was misconstrued valiance, if anything, you know. Oh, like, I yeah. really think John Bunting used his uh, prejudices as an excuse when really he just he would have killed anyway. Because, I mean, one of his last two victims, he just killed purely because he hadn't killed in a while. Yeah. It's some power trip that I guess these guys get that that once you taste it, it just it doesn't um and like I mean just to to say what well, like what Ted Bundy was saying when he would talk in the third and he would say when this when this presence comes you can't say no to it. So it's it's interesting to think that it, it might be something that is very alike, um, and say a sociopathic brain because I think Bunting, yeah, I think he was on the road. And once once he got the taste of it, once he got the power, and then it was almost a cult. Once he got these guys behind him, that validated everything that he wanted to do. It was on to the races, you know. Yeah, yeah, and they're they're all mostly all of his, um, I guess his his cronies. They're all very uneducated and either like mentally ill or had dropped out very early of school. Some of them didn't read or write, so that just made them very easy targets for him too. Yeah, Lillian, he was he was very charismatic. So he also took that most vulnerable point in each one of his cronies, which is they've been abused, and exploited that to get them to help him. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, that's so, what um, Gen Z would call. <laughs> it's like what Gen Z would call a big dick energy, I guess. Just in the worst way. Well, yeah, to, yes, to somebody with a Napoleon <laughs> complex, probably, too. <laughs> yes. Yes. Okay, so we're going to get started uh, talking about the film. I'm going to give you a little background on the directors and some of the actors, and then I'll get started into the summary. Okay, so the director is Justin Kurzel. This is his first feature film. And he won the AACTA Award for Best Director. That's the Australian Academy of Cinema and Television Arts Award. Just for clarification. Um, he also directed 2015's Macbeth and 2016's live-action film adaptation of the video game Assassin's Creed. Just an aside, that film was terrible. <laughs> that film is terrible. And as another aside, Fastbender is probably his worst role. <laughs> Agreed. Hard agreed. Anyway, sorry. Oh, you're fine. Uh, Kurzel has been married to Essie Davis since 2002. Essie is most recognizable for playing Fran Fisher on Miss Fisher's Murder Mysteries and Amelia Vanek in The Babadook. She also. Babadook. Yes. She also. <laughs> Lady, Can uh, Lady Crane in season six of Game of Thrones. Which just, happens, which just happens to be where I am in my rewatch. <laughs> I just finished the books, too. Well, the ones that George R.R. Martin has finished writing. I didn't realize that. I, yeah. I didn't know she was in that, actually. She is. It's not a huge role, but she has a part in season six. Yes. Awesome. Okay, so uh, the cast, Daniel Henschel as John Bunting. Ooh. Daniel, <laughs> yeah. Daniel yeah. is an Australian actor known for his work on Snowtown. 
and I want to pause for dramatic effect here because <laughs> our very own Morgan also acted on this show with Daniel Henschel. Uh, he played Caleb Brewster on Turn, Washington's, Washington's Spies. And uh, Morgan had a small role in that show. Yeah. <laughs> I was what? the scullery maid. Living the dream. Yes. It, it was great. Do you have words? Uh, I never met him. I saw him on set and off set a few times, um, but I directly did not speak to him, or if I did, I had no idea, because I accidentally, I accidentally met the director and didn't know it was the director, and I felt like an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> Where did you go? Where was it? It was in uh, Richmond, Virginia. Oh, nice. Yeah, they they filmed all around, um, like, Richmond, Virginia, but the scene I was in was in the British Tavern that's, um, like, a spy place. Like, all the Americans, like, are running it, pretty much. Like, it's super secretive, and I'm in the back. Uh, so if spying. you ever... Yeah, I'm just spying. I'm supposed to look very suspicious, like, while polishing all the silver over and over and over. <laughs> I learned how to make candles, so that was cool. Daniel Henschel also had a small role again in 2014's Babadook. Oh, they're both in that. Wasn't I think she? He was her boyfriend, uh, Eddie Davis's boyfriend in the film. If I if I'm correct, I could be wrong, but that's my memory. I thought I thought he was one of the people at the pediatrician. Okay, you might be right. <laughs> oh, I was about to say they have really good uh, chemistry if they keep putting them together as a couple. <laughs> well, I mean, I'll be honest. I'll put this out there right now. Like, Daniel Henschel is somebody I'm trying to reach uh, on the filmmaking end of the things that, that we do. So just, yeah, funny that we happen to be talking about Snowtown, and <laughs> he's somebody I'm trying to get at, at some stage. So, hey, what was that? Let's hope this will reach his ears. Yeah. Yes. Oh, my God. It'd be amazing if you heard this. So if you want to call in, <laughs> yeah, um, you know, go right ahead. <laughs> yeah, if you're listening, Daniel Henschel, take notes. Yeah, and Daniel Henschel, you, you may remember me as a scholar maid. <laughs> <laughs> That's the reason he'd call. <laughs> <laughs> okay, um, Lucas Pittaway as Jamie... Lasakis? Is that how we pronounce that? Yeah. That's right. Excellent. Yay. Uh, (laughs) Lucas is most well-known for his role in Snowtown, but he has starred in a lot of short films in his years since. He also starred as Kyle Jeffries in 2019's The Faceless Man. Um, Aaron Virgaver? Virgaver? (laughs) As Robert Wagner? Uh, Aaron's one and only film credit is this film. Um, there's nothing else that he's ever starred in. Uh, same thing with David Walker as Mark Hayden. This is his only film credit. And Louise Harris as Elizabeth Harvey. Uh, Snowtown was her first major acting credit. In fact, she was literally unemployed prior to landing this role. Um, oh, wow. It was really good. Yeah. Uh, she won the Australian Academy of Cinema and Television Arts Award for Best Supporting Actress for her role in Snowtown. Uh, following this, she had a reoccurring role on the Australian prison drama series Wentworth. 
She also had a small part in the 2013 film The Turning. All right. All right. So that's our cast. There are other people in the film, obviously, but those people have even fewer film credits. (laughs) Yes, they they use local people who live there as the extras to really give it an authentic feeling. Which I suppose you can't cast that sort of people because <laughs> it's it's not um it, yeah you, you have to see it to believe it that Absolutely. that that's how people live. Yeah, uh, I was going to mention, and uh, we have a like a segment where I just list like facts about the film, and I was going to say that they mostly use locals, but now okay. they've done it. <laughs> <laughs> I'll zip it. It's indie filmmaking to the to its most supreme uh, level. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um. So I'm gonna give you guys an overview of what happens to our audience, so that they don't have to watch this film themselves if they don't want to. <laughs> a lot it is of a commitment. What's that? Yeah. It's a commitment. It is, and uh, it's a. It's a real theme on our show that uh, most of our films that we cover are hard to watch because they're almost all based on horrific crimes. Mm. Um, but some are more fun than others. Like, you know, we covered Texas Chainsaw Massacre, which... Uh, that's fun. my favorite horror film of all time, if I must say. <laughs> ah, well, I recommend our episode. We got a lot of fun material out of that. <laughs> right on. Okay, right on. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, oh, yeah, we did with the slow motion uh, uh, gif that we made. <laughs> we made a slow motion gif of um, Leatherface dancing to Chris Isaac's Wicked Game. And was it the dance at the end? Yes. <laughs> nice. Yeah, we got our listeners to uh, submit like um, songs that should go with the gif, and so that I think that was the winner. It was the winner, yes. <laughs> I like that. No, that's awesome. (laughs) (laughs) All right. In the poor Adelaide suburb of Salisbury, 16-year-old Janie, Lucas Pittaway, lives with his ill mother, Elizabeth Harvey, played by Louise Harris, and his brothers, including Troy, played by Anthony Groves, who rapes Janie. One day, his mother's then-boyfriend takes nude and indecent photographs of the boys. Which, let's talk about this scene for a second. It's just kind of odd. It's very unsettling because there's no no words are spoken. None. And it's just this quiet understanding of what ha- needs to happen next. This is what we do. It's like normal almost, no. if you can it's call it It's very, that. yes, it's very clinical and not at all, it, it looks like they're taking, having mugshots taken, not that they're being sexually abused. 100%, yeah. yeah. It's bizarre, uh, but it's very effective. Extremely. It's chilling. It really is chilling. And it's just, um, yeah, how the kid just goes along with knowing that, oh, this is the drill, meaning it's sort of implying that this is a thing that regularly happens. And, and what's crazy to me is, and, and just how much control this person had over them, I suppose, is that Jamie's character is 16. Like, he could probably have fought back. Mm. 
it's probably it was just probably punishment and it like from you know from a young age it's just you get used to it so he probably could have fought back but maybe in his own brain it was like what what's the point or even he maybe he didn't even make that connection because it was something that was normal it's something that i think only jamie himself really would know and i don't even think he lets himself be interviewed to that point or anything like that absolutely um you just have to assume that this man had done this enough that this was just a power that he had over him and it just wasn't even a notion to him to even think to do that. And his brothers, you know? Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah, it's crazy. Okay, so the children inform their mother who then cries and punches her ex screaming, what did you do to my boys? Uh, And when the police are reluctant to intervene, Elizabeth is contacted by Barry. uh, Now Barry. (laughs) Should we do a whole... (laughs) Uh, segue about Barry? <laughs> I do. I have an entire segue about Barry written right down. Okay. Um, yes. Okay. So he's played by Richard Green, um, a trans woman uh, who introduces her to John, Daniel Henschel. Now, note, I've seen Barry slash Vanessa described as both a gay man who enjoys dressing in women's clothing and as a trans woman named Vanessa. In the film, they are only referred to as Barry. So for this portion of the podcast, I will continue to refer to this character as Barry, but the real-life individual may have preferred Vanessa. That's my understanding. Yeah, I, don't, I don't know. It's, it's not something that's set in stone, right? It's just right. that's what he identified by Barry and Vanessa. Yes. And to be fair, I don't think he was trans. I think he was just a cross-dresser. Right. Um, again, I, I've only I've seen conflicting reports yeah. both ways, so I'm just trying to not say yeah. anything wrong or misgender anyone. No, absolutely. But uh, yeah, he was just a, he. He was he's almost an irredeemable character. True. Um, no, ma- no matter what his orientation. <laughs> this this uh, is true. Um, this person is a pretty irredeemable character are they a victim of murder yes were they also a criminal themselves yes um yeah so i'll continue on uh so john who despises pedophiles and homosexuals continually harasses the ex-boyfriend's pedophile uh via means such as throwing kangaroo's blood and body parts at his house until the man finally moves away Mm. And, and who, where does he get these body parts from in the first place, you know? <laughs> well, it, it, they, it's, there's a scene specifically of him hacking up kangaroos in the driveway. Yeah. yeah. Just, yeah. To the oh, listeners, in Australia. <laughs> I thought it was alluding to human body parts at this stage. No, it's kangaroo blood and body kangaroo. parts. Kangaroo. Yeah. Kangaroos. But yeah, like yeah, a kangaroo not- head or a tail or something. Yeah. yeah. So he must have gone hunting to find them or something. It's not... Or, or could have been roadkill. Uh, Did he work at a slaughterhouse? There is a scene later on where it shows him um, coming back from a hunt. So you yeah. have to assume that he's a kangaroo hunter for at least yeah. fun. Morgan, he did work at a slaughterhouse. That is, that's right. But I don't think at that time anymore. I think his first job was at a slaughterhouse. But at that point, he wasn't. By oh, the time okay. he was in with Elizabeth Harvey, he wasn't. So he knew how to dismember... Um, an animal. Absolutely. 
Okay, so he just found those. I was thinking he took them from a kangaroo factory. I have no idea. <laughs> no, I think he tried them and just brought them back. <laughs> but it could have been roadkill or he could have gone hunting. Right. Either one. Yeah. For the movie purposes, it looked to be rather intact before they started cutting it up, so I have to assume that he just shot it. Oh, Anna. Anna, we have to uh, warn everybody the kangaroo dies. Yes. And, and the we'll dog. Talk about, we'll talk about that. You, you know, <laughs> this is Australian film as well, and there's an infamous one, Wake and Fright, which has an infamous kangaroo hunting scene where it was real, so I think this is probably very low-key compared to that. Just, just <laughs> very low-key compared to that. Very low-key. <laughs> I mean, for your Australian listeners, you can just refer to it as a roo. <laughs> there you go. Yes. Uh, okay, uh... So John assumes the role of Jamie's father figure, taking him under his wing uh, for the worst. Barry tells John the names of addresses of pedophiles in the area, and John creates a wall with pictures and details about each one of them, including notes saying things like, I'm coming for you. Uh, Jamie finds himself slowly drawn into John's homophobic and violent tendencies, unable to escape his charismatic and intimidating dominance. Uh, on one particular occasion, John, aware that Jamie is being raped by his brother, Troy, uh, wants Jamie to stand up for himself, and in pursuit of this, gives him a gun and has Jamie shoot the dog. Does the dog die? Yes. Mm. But, off camera, but you do hear the dog. What? He says he's not dead yet, and then he shoots him in the face. Yeah, but you don't, you don't see that part, do you? You don't see it, but you feel it, and you have to go hug your animals. I'm just just saying it happens off camera. (laughs) I I had to pause it and go pet my dog. (laughs) Um, I mean, I live with the dog, but I'm not super fond of it. It's my boyfriend's brother's dog. Yeah, that's your enemy. We have a strained relationship. (laughs) (laughs) I have kitties. Okay, um, so... John, meanwhile, influences the rest of the neighborhood with his extreme rhetoric and homophobic views and separates Barry from his younger boyfriend, Robert, played by Aaron Bergever. Only Troy seems to dislike John. Barry soon disappears, leaving behind only an answering machine message saying that he's going to Queensland. I like the way they handled this in the film. They just play the message over an image of the Australian night, and that's the last you hear of Barry. You see none of the violence, but you know he met a violent end. Yeah, it's, um, it's definitely the um, cinematic language in that sense. We don't always have to see it because sometimes the imagination of it could even be worse, especially with what we've seen prior already. We know where, where it's headed. Exactly. And in the bathtub. Oh. So... John brings Jamie in as a neophyte member of his, like, small team of men who bury men. Uh, shortly afterward, Jamie visits his drug addict best friend Gavin, uh, played by Bob Adrians, with John, who uh, develops a dislike for Gavin. Later one night, John and Robert take Jamie into his garden shed and show him the bodies of both Barry and Gavin. Horrified, Jamie lashes out at John, but remains under his spell despite the grisly scene. 
John, knowing that Jamie has been abused by Troy, recruits Robert to take Troy by force and torture him. This is the most brutal scene in the film. Mm, yeah. The toes. Yeah. Uh, That's fucking torture. Oh, my God. Yeah, they, they did it with multiple victims, but that was in the film. They they did share this one. Ooh. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the thing that gets so, me is like the act itself, or the, the like like how how much the enjoyment of the act is. Like that's so odd. Both. Yeah. Both. <laughs> you know. Yeah. There's definitely a look of glee on uh, John's face, but it's like this scary calm glee, and. Uh, what? It's his design, if you will. Yeah, ah, yeah, totally. So they they tie Troy up by force and torture him. It's the roughest scene to watch. Uh, they tie him up in the bathtub and they beat the shit out of him. And as Morgan mentioned, they also pull his toenail off with pliers. <laughs> that or teeth. Those are the two things that get me. Nails or teeth? Absolutely. Yeah. Because there's like, so much pain in those. You can feel it when you're walking. I'm, yeah, always, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, the like whenever I'm at work and I'm helping a doctor like sew up someone's finger, if we have to go through the fingernail, it always makes me feel just so gross. Uh, just oh. uh, yeah. stitches yeah. through the fingernail. I can't. I can't even look. Oh. I suppose though, better in a film than in real life. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So uh, then John and Robert begin to strangle him, but they are toying with them. They strangle him for a little bit and then stop. Rinse, repeat. Jamie finally gets in the bathtub and finishes the job, strangling him in an act of mercy that also desensitizes him in one fell swoop. Uh, So now he assists John in carrying out several murders, one of which is an autistic teen that Jamie knows. And John asks him if anyone will miss him, and the guy is picked up is picked as a victim purely because John hasn't killed anyone in a while, and uh, he's bored and needs to kill someone else. Uh, you need to stay fit, right? Yeah, right. Gotta stay, <laughs> gotta stay on top of your game. He's, he's yeah. a craftsman. <laughs> yeah. Uh, John and his team store the bodies in the vault of an abandoned bank in the town of. Snowtown. Snowtown. Jamie is persuaded by John to lure his half-brother, Dave, played by Bo Gosling, to the bank building, ostensibly to look at the computer for sale. Um, there is no computer. Jamie drives him uh, to the town, vaguely conscious of what he's doing, and leads Dave into the building, where he is met by John and Robert. Unaware of what is going on, Dave watches Jamie shut the door of the bank. Against a blank screen, we see a caption reveal that uh, South Australian police discovered the remains of eight people stored in six barrels in the bank vault of Snowtown on the 20th of May, 1999. And the following day, John Bunting and Robert Wagner were arrested. And uh, fade to black. That's the end of the film. Mm-hmm. I would like to say, too, I, I've always been curious about this. If Breaking Bad, which is my favorite show of all time, if they got their idea for putting bodies in barrels and, you know, with acid, if they got that from Snowtown. I, I've never found that to be admitted to, but I've always been curious. I don't know. And, you know, it hasn't been widely uh, pub, I mean, uh, public, blah, 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 blah. publicized <laughs> <laughs> publicized until these last, like, maybe four or five years, but, you know, there was also 
those barrels found in Bear Brook in, uh, like, Ooh. Vermont or New Hampshire? Yeah. Uh, where was it? Please don't paint Vermont in a bad light for me. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I wasn't aware of that, to be completely honest with you. Oh. And that, no, the, the, this, remember old Bella Kish back in Hungary in nineteen thirteen. This is a common disposal method. <laughs> it really is. It's more common than people think, but this is probably the most famous case, I would say. Um, we also just disclaimer: we're not trying to enable our listeners. <laughs> no, no, no. Do not take this as a um idea. <laughs> yeah. We uh we frown upon that in this establishment. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So we talk about it. We didn't encourage it. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm gonna give you guys some facts about the film, the way it was filmed, all that jazz. So, Snowtown won the Audience Award at the 2011 Adelaide Film Festival and received special mention at the Cannes Film Festival that year. Although a critical success, Snowtown lost money at the box office, ultimately. Uh, in North America, it only earned a paltry $8,452, which converts to about $11,559.79 in Australian dollars. Jeez. I wonder how many screens it was given, I wonder. Not many, I can't imagine. <laughs> I, don't, I don't remember it airing. Would it be something if it was given 8,000 screens? But anyways... <laughs> <laughs> I'm <laughs> uh, Channel 9 Entertainment in Australia, uh, reporter Richard Wilkins gave the film a rating of zero stars, stating, This is as close to a snuff movie as I ever want to see. I don't care if it's rooted in truth or not. It's appalling. I've seen it so you don't have to. <laughs> I would say Richard Wilkins has clearly not seen The Last House on the Left. But anyways. <laughs> right. Yeah. Oh, God. That really is about as close to a snuff film as I think I've seen. That's what, I, that's what we're hearing him say that right now. Just, yeah. Well. Yeah, they didn't even think about Carla. Car- I think Carla's like a I mean, this is hmm. what he's seen. Maybe Richard's never seen Carla or Last House on the Left. Maybe. And he would probably be good to stay away if he took that way to Snowtown. Because, yeah, that is, that's definitely a hard watch. Yeah. <laughs> no I, the truth I, of the matter is, I, I think he, he, no one actually wants to know that something like that's possible or that it happens. Least of all do you want to know that it happens in Australia where everything is sunny and everyone's easy, go la- happy, and life's good. You don't want to know that that happens here. So you don't want to see it. So it doesn't surprise me that that's what he thought of it. <laughs> it's denial. That's a fair cop. Yeah, I got to say, uh, full disclosure, in particular, I'm obsessed with Australian true crime. Because I think that you guys have some of the most fucked up crimes. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly. No, I absolutely. Think, yeah, and yeah. Knight, I mean, the Catherine Knight case is... Is one of the most upsetting. That that's the woman who boiled her husband. Yeah. Oh, I know. I'm personally waiting for a film about her to be done so I can do her case. I would be honest to say that I'm pretty sure there's quite a few would be filmmakers out there trying to adapt that from my yeah. knowledge. It's just going to be able to do it right, you know? get it done, people. <laughs> no, um, I, I don't know. Think that Australia, being as sparsely populated as it is, there's probably like 
the lion's share of things that have have transpired we don't even know about. Probably. I would like to mean, fly on the wall, but maybe probably not, actually. <laughs> yeah, and I, I mean, another case that you guys could do was Wolf Creek, because that is also founded in reality. I think that was our eighth episode, Morgan. Yeah, it was way early. <laughs> um, I've done a few Australian cases. We also did the uh, Bernie murders. Oh, yay. Oof. And um, the girls. The two girls. What two girls? Um, the heavenly creatures. Yeah, yeah, heavenly creatures. Oh, yeah, yeah that's, that's New Zealand, though, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, shit. I am so sorry. <laughs> yeah. That's, a mix that's, that's interesting. Awesome. That's an interesting one. That, that one is a really interesting case, though. We it also really did. Is. What? Morgan? Huh? Sorry, did, did I go something? out? Mm-mm. Yeah. What did you just say? I was just putting my foot in my mouth. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> uh, all right. So uh, Justin Kurzel told Lucas Pittaway not to talk much to any of the actors on set to help the emotional state of his character. Just keeping it to himself, just to just to like suffer the pain and then and then internalize it without actually letting it out. Is that's basically sort of his direction? Uh, yes, but also so that you don't become too familiarized with the other people, to, so you never feel easy with them. Okay, okay. Yeah. So there was a subplot based on actual events, which revealed Robert and Barry as lovers in the past. It was cut, but it can be found on the DVD deleted scenes. Ooh, okay. That must mean I must purchase this, because I'd be interested in that, because... I mean, yeah, and when we did the, uh, when we profiled the case, it's the fact that, yeah, he lived how long, Sonia? Quite a long time during his formative sort of, well, maybe not formative, but like teenage years with this guy. Yeah. About four yeah. years. I think the guy, they disappeared when he was 12 or 13, mm-hmm. and then he reemerged when he was 18. So, I mean, that's his entire teenage years. That's puberty, yeah. you know? Absolutely. And, and, who knows exactly, you know, like we all rebel or whatever it is that when, when puberty comes in or whatever. So who knows what, what transpired between them and then him to turn around and then join John. Um, but his trouble started way before he met Barry. I mean, he wanted to commit suicide when he was eight or seven or eight years old. Because I mean, he was for, also being abused, right? Yeah, he was yeah. sexually so, molested I mean, by his half-brother. Yeah, so he was already broken by the time he met Barry. And I think Barry just gave him a, I mean, he groomed him. Absolutely. And it's very much, what's that, abducted in plain sight, or what's that? Oh, B, when, when B took, what's her name, from the parents, and we got all got yeah. mad at the parents for being such idiots. You know? Oh, God. <laughs> it's very much All the parents and the daughter, like, anyways. <laughs> <laughs> It's quite similar to that situation. I mean, you, you stand outside and you think, well, how could this happen? But it, it happens. Yeah. It seems to happen in, in, in like, you know, obviously lower income, lower education areas. It's almost like you don't know what kind of rights because it's just human rights that you have because the people who are supposed to be looking after you are doing these horrible things to you. Absolutely. Yeah. Just uh, yeah. a vicious cycle. Yeah, this this case really shook up the Australian community because for the most part, as I say, people are happy-go-lucky. 
they enjoy the good weather and a good beer and watch their footy. They're unaware of of the that stuff like that takes place. And people are also not as in, I mean, I'm saying this, I've been living here now for 13 years. So just from my observation, they're not that curious about your neighbor's background or who they are or what they do. So you can actually, in your garage, have a body <laughs> because it's just that attitude of, ah, you're right, you do you, I'll do me and carry on with life's good. Um, So you don't really have nosy neighbor. That's not a thing. Yeah. And just a little cultural side note of how how did they actually get away with this in a neighborhood? People actually just carry on their business. They don't care that much what your neighbor's up to. Yeah, I have to say, so I wonder, like, in this particular neighborhood, how they get away with it. Like, was there more of this kind of stuff happening that wasn't within their microcosm? Like, at least with abuse and all that kind of stuff? It's, it's so rife in this particular story that it just paints the rest of the neighborhood with it to me. And I'm not trying to, to template match or say it must have been, but it, the curiosity is there. Well, around um, this time with the, the pedophile ring, um, you've probably heard of it with the um, alleged elite pedophile ring um, that took place in the 70s and 80s. I mean, um, that, that goes into Son of Sam and all that kind of stuff, too. Yeah. Really. Yeah. yeah, and so, I mean, it's continuing on. Like, people are coming out now saying that they were victims 40 years ago, so the timelines kind of add up about, you know, news reports. Because there were, like, in the court testimony said that there were, like, news stories about all these children being raped and um, Bunting said the police weren't doing anything about it. But I think, again, that's like a, he did this as a way to get money, too. Oh, 100%. You're not a vigilante, man. You know, yeah. yourself as not, not even. He's just a complete psychopath. Yeah, that, that was his excuse. That was, and, and that's how he really recruited his little gang. Like, yeah, he'd probably be the furthest thing from like an organized pedophile ring. Not to not to justify any of those things, but but yeah, I think he was just the king of his castle at that point. Oh yeah, yeah. Okay, so to get us back on track, um, so Daniel Hin- Hinshaw, uh lived in the Snowtown area for six weeks in a hotel and got to know the locals to help develop his character. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I wonder, did they, like, accept him? Do you know? Were they, like, uh, one of us, one of us? I don't know if they did the whole scene from Freaks with the Google Gobble, but <laughs> they did allow him to stay and, you know, get a sense of the area for those six weeks. They didn't, like, drive him out of town with pitchforks, so I assume it was fine. <laughs> and, you know, the poor, guy, the poor town, like, they didn't, they don't want that reputation, and, and, and now they have it, and now it's infamous. It's probably like a Route 66 attraction type of thing, you know? At first, it did bring a little bit of um, touristy money in, but that dribbled off pretty quickly. Because they get there and like, oh, yeah, I'm good. <laughs> well, yeah, because it's literally a town that's in the decline. It's There's nothing there but people that were murdered. You know. I mean, it's the bank too. Is the bank the bank still stands, right? If I remember correctly. Uh, if it serves correctly, I think so. Yes, someone bought it. A couple bought it, and they actually live in the house that adjoins it to the back, and they want to turn it into a museum sort of thing. Yeah, that's what I was reading. 
I know mm. that um a lot of the townspeople are pretty pissed about that. I can't yeah. blame them, honestly, but I am exactly the kind of person that would go to one of those. Yeah, I know no, you. <laughs> yeah, eleven times out of ten, I would. <laughs> yeah, I'd be like, go ahead, yeah. I want to go to the Conjuring House. <laughs> you know, I don't live. I live like maybe three or four hours from the Amityville Horror House, and I've but I've oh, heard really? that. Yes, I've but I've heard that those people are really not kind to visitors. You can imagine. I mean, when when I was what was it, 1997, I was in New York for the first time, and I made a cab driver drive me to the Amityville House. So that's when I learned. Okay, so they changed the because uh, I've read the book and all that stuff, and mm-hmm. oh, so you changed the address. Okay, and then now there's like people who do know that and take pictures. I'd probably be the same way. Like, get out of my property. <laughs> yeah, they're just annoyed by. Uh, uh, but you sort of asked for it too because you, you're buying into some piece of infamous history. Yeah, come yeah. on. You bought the Amityville house. What is going to happen? <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah. Okay, so um, the game that the brothers are heard to be playing at the beginning of the movie is called Alex Kid, and it's a version for the Sega, the Sega Mega Drive. Or Master System for those of us who had one in America at the time. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> the last scene shot uh, was the scene where Jamie shoots the dog. Oh, mm. very last thing that they filmed. Oh, I hope he got a lot of treats. I'm sure he did. <laughs> he didn't really get shot more. Times. I know. I just, uh, no, uh, no animals out. were harmed during the filming of Snowtown. The kangaroo looked pretty real, though. I think it was dead. It, I don't know. It may have been, but. You know, they could have found one on the road and decorated it. Who knows? Because even in, in Chainsaw, it was supposed to open up with a dead dog in the in the road as opposed to an armadillo, right? So yeah, that's true. Um, you, you never know. They could have found yeah found roadkill. This is Australia. <laughs> yeah, they, yeah, yeah. I guess it would be that. Yeah. Or you could just go um, to the roof factory. I, I couldn't. <laughs> I couldn't find anything to say whether or not. Uh, you know, it was hurt for the film, but I imagine not because you know there's rules, guys. There's rules. Now there is. Back yeah. in the '80s, it was a wasteland and outlaws here. That's <laughs> a guess. And I mean, in the '70s in America, it was too in some ways. In the '90s, the '90s were the worst. Um, oh, I love it all. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So those are all the fun facts that I have. Um, so typically, we take a small break. Uh, before Morgan gets into her portion of all the horrific true crime. So, uh, if you have to use the restroom or something, now is the time. Welcome back to Horror vs. Reality. Morgan? Hi! Okay. okay. Get my notes, sorry. <laughs> all good. Okay. Hey, everybody. <laughs> all right. So, like I said earlier about the the atmosphere of Adelaide at the time, um, I just wanted to put it out there that what we'll talk about has already been discussed before. Um, Just a warning about child abuse, trans and homophobia, violence, death, rape, etc. And like I said earlier, around this time in Adelaide, there were uh, many serial or a few serial killers and child murderers. And then there's the disappearance of the Beaumont children. Um, there's also that high society pedophile ring that was on the news at this time. Um, so that atmosphere kind of like 
made John Bunting really mad. Um, it was said that he was mad that local children were being raped and molested, and he would speak to people about how he would torture these pedophiles and kill them himself since the police weren't doing anything. That was in his mind. Um, he openly talked about murdering and torturing them constantly, and he would actually brag to people about his killings, which ultimately led to, like, even more killings to hide his secrets and to also steal their disability checks. Um, he was also a white supremacist, even though that the um, law enforcement didn't really touch on this a lot um, during the trial. Um, but he did have anti-gay, anti-Asian, um, and anti-child molester kind of um, view of the world. He got um, so into white supremacy that he read Mein Kampf. Yeah, and Wagner, they said whenever they um, opened his computer, his, like, background screen said Adolf Hitler is alive. Did it? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah, one of the articles I read said that, so I can't remember where I read. I don't know if it was in the court testimony because I found the um, official court documents and everything. I I don't know where the source was. Um, Dude was I think, off the rails before he killed anyone. I know. I thought it was crazy because he's also disabled and illiterate. So I guess someone put that back screen up for him because I don't know if you can work a computer if you're illiterate. He couldn't read or write. That's a that's a fair point. Yeah. So I, I'm assuming like John Bunting like helped him set up his windows and like was like <laughs> Adolf Hitler's alive. Um, he was very bad to pets, which we'll talk about later. Um, but John Bunting is the ringleader of this murderous group. Um, he was born an only child to Tom and Jan Bunting, and I may be butchering this, Inala, Queensland? Inala? <laughs> um, yeah, that place. He was born <laughs> September 4th, 1966, and he was also said to be born without a sense of smell. Fun fact about John Bunting. Um, I friend who can't smell. Yeah, usually it's when you're, like, exposed to chemicals, but it's kind of strange that he was born without a sense of smell. That means his nerve is damaged somewhere. That's um, <laughs> Uh, that must come in handy with the disposal of aging cadavers. Yeah, That's so he wouldn't point. smell the dead body. Mm. Um, and superpower. <laughs> That's a significant advantage if you're a serial killer. Yeah, yeah. and when he worked, um, in a, I think he worked in a mortuary or something um, for a little bit. Um, but he, around eight years old, Bunting was raped and beaten by a friend's older brother, and this had a, you know, lasting effect on him. Um, when he finally had uh, his first sexual encounter with a girl, he ended up getting her pregnant at 15. I don't know any other information on that child. Um, there's not much mention. Um, and during his teens, he was really interested in anatomy uh, human and animals, uh, photography, and fucking weaponry. 
Uh, he collected a multitude of knives and some guns, and at some point during his teens and early 20s, Fleming started killing and mutilating animals, and he would skin cats, dogs, and kangaroos, uh, which he later made, um, how do you pronounce his name, Velasquez? Vlasakis. Uh He made Vlasakis watch. Um, Wagner, who was Bunting's right-hand man, uh, like I said, was disabled and illiterate. He could not read or write. Um, I don't think he made it through, like, elementary school. He, he was also a white supremacist, and as was Bunting, and they both kind of fed off of each other in this hating gays and Asians, as they said. Um, and Bunting, I mean, uh, Wagner also said he had told people that he joined National Action, which is a white supremacist group, that he said he was super involved with. Um, and neighbors and friends said that Wagner was the kind of guy who was super quiet and let Bunting do all the talking because it was all about Bunting and what he would do. Um, and if Bunting would tell him to do something, he wouldn't question it and he would do it. He was uh, he would jump on anything that Bunting asked him to do. He was like his minion. Um so now we'll go into the first victim of Bunting. Uh, it's uh, Clinton Trezies. Trezies. Yeah, he was 22. Um, and if you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile unlimited premium wireless. Ready to get 30 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20 20, 20 ready to get 20 20, ready to get 15 15, 15 15, just 15 bucks a month. So, give it a try at mintmobile.com/switch. $45 upfront for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Bunting later nicknamed him Happy Pants. Um, so the night that he was murdered, Bunting invited him over for drinks and then became accusing him of being a pedophile. And according to court testimony, Velasquez uh, said Bunting became enraged and hit him in the head with a hammer, killing him. He also testified that he may have strangled him, too, but um, the hammer was definitely the cause of death. And Bunting then called um, Lane, who was Vanessa, Barry Vanessa Lane. Um, he called over Lane and... 
he called over Lane and um, oh my God. Hayden to help him dispose of the body. Uh, the three men dug a shallow grave and then disposed of him. And then Trezzy, Trezzy's, I'm butchering it. I'm so sorry. Um, okay. Fine. <laughs> Fine. I'm fired. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it, it had said that he was in a relationship with or was supposedly molested by Barry Vanessa Lane, um, who was an accomplice later turned victim. And as you'll see, and as we talked about, all the relationships are intertwined through sexual nature, family, or friends, all the victims and the perpetrators. Uh, the trustees initially set off the investigation due to his body being discovered in a shallow grave in Lower Light, which is north of Adelaide, um, around where Bunting had lived at the time. Reports differ on what year Tresis was killed, but I'll say 1992 because that was the official court record. Um, but if you look at the case, some reports say his death was in early 1993. Um, but sadly, Tresis was not even reported missing until 1995, which is three years after he had um, been murdered. He had been missing for five years before he was even identified. And the only way he was ID'd because his parents sent in old x-rays of his skull, hoping to find a match. Um, and on May 5th, 1997, Australia's Most Wanted um, had a missing person segment, and it showed the skeleton and where they found it. And they were asking for um, information, but uh, there was no connection to the skeleton and um, Trezzi's. Um but during that re-air on August 1998, um, Bunting supposedly stated, there's some of my handiwork in front of a few witnesses who actually later testified against him in court. Um, so it wasn't until three years after um, Tracy's murder that Bunting started murdering again. And by this time, he had married Veronica Tripp but was also having an affair with Velasquez's mother, uh, Elizabeth Harvey. At this time, Bunting was spewing out homophobic slurs, talking about killing homosexuals, and meanwhile grooming Velasquez just to take on the same uh, view of the world uh, that they are going to kill um, child molesters and gay men. Um, and that's when he started making Velasquez's um, watching him kill and skin cats and dogs in the neighborhood. Um, around this time, he was still thick as thieves with Hayden, and Bunting and Hayden's next victim was Ray Davies. Uh, Davies was an intellectually disabled man who lived in a caravan behind Suzanne Allen's home. Allen and Davies were actually in a relationship until one of her grandsons came to her saying that Davies had molested him and was attempting to molest her other grandson. Um, Bunting and Wagner, Bunting and Wagner had overheard this conversation from Alan and that said he had to die um, due to them being molested. So Davies was last seen in 1995 and his body was discovered May, 1999 and it was in the same hole as his previous partner and the kid's grandma, Suzanne Allen. Um, 
Allen's dismembered body was later uh, found in 11 garbage bags, and but they never received a conviction for this murder. Um, Bunting and um, oh my god, the other guy. (laughs) 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 There's so many names, I just keep getting them all confused. So, Bunting and Hayden had dismembered her body and put her in 11 garbage bags, but the jury was hung on a conviction due to the cause of death being ruled a heart attack. Um, So she's most likely the pair's 12th victim. She probably just had a heart attack before they finished, Um, but they were never convicted of this murder. Um, And both victims' welfare and disability checks were traced back to Bunting later, and Bunting would have been caught I I would think he would have been caught way earlier due to the fact that police noticed that her checks were actually being being sent to Bunting's address. Um, When police questioned him, he said that she was just a close family friend and there was no more investigation into that matter, even though they never even talked to her. So um, I don't know if that would have changed things or whatever. Um. But the police were called and testified on stand, and um, nothing ever came of it. So Michael Gardner was their next victim, um, killed by Bunting and Wagner in August 1997. Um, Gardner had shared a house with some friends um, nearby, and those friends actually reported him missing. And after he went missing, um, Bunting got people to impersonate him, asking for money for a sex change. And one friend testified, said that she could tell it wasn't him. It was someone impersonating a gay man. Um, Wagner didn't like Gardner because he was openly gay. Um, and that is literally like the only reason Um And also that they stole all the belongings from Gardner. They ransacked his house. Um, They stole his ID. They stole um, funds from his accounts. And then his body was later found by police in one of the six drums in the bank vault in Snowtown. Um, And the body of Barry Vanessa Lane um, was also found in the same barrel. And it was said that one of Gardner's feet had been removed, so the lid of the drum would be closed on them both. Which is, it's just so terrible. It's just like, why? Why? This, it was just a happy gay man. Leave him alone. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's also like, just, just the narrow worldview that some people have. Only that they just took it to this other, other level. Yeah, it's just so, it's so hard, like, reading all these court testimony, and um, luckily none of the recordings, like, I'll I'll talk about it a little bit, but none of the recordings have been released, and I'm kind of glad for that, just because a lot of the families are alive, and they probably don't want to hear their loved one's last words again, because they were forced to listen to it repeatedly in court, and I know it had lasting effects on family members. Um. That's not not cool. Nobody should have to go through that. Yeah, so the courts have stripped that from being public. Um, A lot of this information only came out due to the movie, like Anna said, um, because they were fighting for the information. Um, And I guess they had money for the lawyers and stuff. But 
like I said, Barry slash Vanessa, I'm not sure because he went by she went by both. Um, I don't want to, you know, assume the gender of anybody, but I will call her a trans woman um, or trans person. Um, and they were a trans person and convicted pedophile. Uh, Lane lived with Robert Wagner around this time um, for eight years and it was only a block away from where Bunting lived. Uh, Lane and Wagner's relationship began when Wagner was only 14 years old, and I believe Lane was 28 at this time. So they were together for eight years, like we said, so until he was like 22. Um, and so almost the entirety of the relationship was illegal. Yes. And... Almost the entire time their house was being uh, vandalized uh, constantly. People would scream at them. People would hit their houses with eggs. So that eventually led Lane to building a really high fence so that they would just fuck up his fence and not his house. Um, and both of them were actually getting disability checks from uh, what used to be called the Australian Social Security and Lane's mother later told police that he was involved with a murder eight or nine years previous to him going missing. And he was uh, they were living in fear and was being threatened by the other perpetrators. Um, and this other person was their first victim, Clinton, Trissies. Um, so after that, uh, before Lane's death. He was actually forced to record a message, as were many of the victims, saying that he was leaving and not returning. He was moving away, um, and he left that message for his mother. And his body was later found in the same barrel as Gardner, um, Michael Gardner. Um, so the next victim was Thomas Trevelyan. Trevelyan? Trevelyan? Trevelyan. Sorry, I'm butchering it. Trevelyan. <laughs> Trevelyan. Okay, I got it. Uh, Trevelyan was also involved in Lane's murder. Um, and Trevelyan at this time was actually living with Lane. Um, he was, he had paranoid schizophrenia and suffered from hallucinations. Um, neighbors and friends reported he would only wear military style clothing which was just camouflage and he would run outside with a knife if like he was startled or if he heard something or thought he heard something. Um, so they said that he was killed for supposedly fucking up and speaking about the murder of Lane to multiple people. Um, his body was later found hanging from a tree on November 5th, 1997 in Adelaide. It was initially ruled a suicide, but later uh, it was discovered that Bunting and Wagner put a noose around his neck and then kicked the box out from underneath him. Um, so they made it, they staged it to look like a suicide, which he he was suffering from mental illness. So I guess the police didn't think any anything of it, it looked like a suicide. Um, the next victim was Gavin Porter. Uh, this was Velasquez's friend and fellow heroin user. Um, they had been friends for a really long time and also were both addicted to heroin at this time. 
and which made Bunting mad because he saw like addicts and um, the ruffian type of people as a waste. Um, and he didn't want Vlaskis to hang out with him anymore. Um, so after Bunting sat down on a couch and was accidentally stabbed. Huh? Can I interject for just a second? Oh, yeah. So in the movie, just to illustrate things for the audience, uh, there's a scene where Bunting shoves Jamie's head repeatedly into the window of the car that they're sitting in and yelling at him, telling him, get off that junk. Yeah, that was the junk, the heroin. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the junk was the heroin. I wonder well, I mean, what could have ever driven Jamie to use it. Hmm. hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe everyone around him. <laughs> right? Something to numb the pain? Hmm? Yeah. Gosh. Yeah, and he's also actually Elizabeth was also a user from my understanding. She had yeah. quite yeah, she was an addict. Yeah, and I I know Elizabeth was involved with a few of the crimes. I'm just not sure if she was involved with Porter. Yeah, I, I think it was just the first uh, with um, Davies. Yeah, the guy Davies. In the caravan who lived in the trailer. And she died of cancer, so she was never convicted of anything. Yeah, yeah. shortly after that, they were all discovered that she had. Um, when cancer worked in your favor. Hey. <laughs> 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 so, yeah, and it wasn't until, like, um, Bunting got set off by Porter. Uh, like I said, he had left a needle on the couch, um, which supposedly stabbed Bunting, and he got really pissed. And later, um, uh, Porter was working on a car, and he was um, high on dope. And there's different reports saying he fell asleep in the back of the car or fell asleep under the car. I don't know. Um, but Bunting told Vlaskis that he decided to strangle him. Vlaskis was not there at the time. He was actually at a drive-in movie theater, and they told him after he returned that Porter was dead. Um, he didn't see his body until two days later. So, uh, like the, the movie, the scene where he's got the cut hand, and he says, what happened to your hand? And he doesn't answer. Um, well, when he was strangling Porter with a rope, Porter actually had a knife and began stabbing at his hand, and that's why he had uh, his hand wrapped up, because he, he was getting stabbed. <laughs> so um, until two days later, Bunting showed Velasquez his body and then forced him to help dispose of his body in a barrel. Um a lot of all this information is coming from Vlaskis' testimony, by the way, because uh, Bunting and everybody like really didn't get on the stand. Um, so, it, and, and sorry, Morgan, and he only testified once his mom had died. Yes. So there yeah. was a big delay. He didn't um, come out with it at the beginning. He was, I think, in prison for a while before he he. Testify, or said he would testify. Well, some of like almost witness protection, almost in jail with him as well, like suppression yeah. orders on his image and all that kind of thing. Yeah, because yeah. 
a lot of the um, stuff that I read, he finally admitted to the murders on May 4th, 1999, but all of this was suppressed until like 2001, I think. Yeah. Because um, he admitted to the murders and went to jail, tried to kill himself several times. And then in 20, uh, 2001, that's when he was like, okay, uh, I'll talk more, um, which was, you know two years, three years later. Um, but yet he, after, um, Porter's death, um, when he helped dispose of him in his barrel, he was, um, he then stole Porter's car at some point and drove it away. Um, that's like the scene of them painting the car. Um, I think they later sold it. I don't know what happened to the car. Um, but he did steal the cash, credit cards, and he actually assumed Porter's identity so he could get some welfare checks um, from Porter's account. Um, and a lot of these these poor victims, like, no one was around to, you know, report them missing. Um, I think out of all the victims, maybe two or three actually reported missing. And that was part of John Bunting's allure to them, is that he didn't think that they would be missing. Yeah. Yeah. It's just really, really sad. Um, so then, who's next? Sorry, I don't mean to say it like that. <laughs> um, Troy Yude, which was Velasquez's half-brother. Um, and at the age of 13, like the movie showed, Velasquez was raped by Yude, um, his own half-brother. And at some point, I don't know when, but Blaskis confided to Bunting and said that he had been assaulted. Um, and this pretty much enraged Bunting and Wagner, um, knowing their history of molestation and rapes and how they feel about it. Uh, so Yude was murdered and disposed by Blaskis, Bunting, and Wagner. Um, Yude was sleeping one night. And he was pulled out of bed by the three men, um, beaten to submission, and he was handcuffed by, uh, I think, Bunting, handcuffed him, and then uh, chained him to the bathtub. Um, Yude was then beaten with a tire jack or a jack handle, and he was forced to apologize for raping Velasquez. And... Velasquez reported on stand that he thought that Bunting and Wagner were only going to beat him. Um, and then they started both naming all the victims that they had both killed before him, um, saying that you're next. And so that's when Velasquez started realizing, oh, shit, they're going to kill him. Um, and they kept tightening the rope around his neck tighter and tighter and then letting go, sort of like in the movie. And... They used a jack handle to place around the rope so they could twist it and sort of like how we do tourniquets. Um, it just makes it tighter and tighter. Uh, so the rope actually broke. Um, Velasquez and Bunting were both choking him back and forth. Um, so then they got the rope again, took off the jack handle, and um, then subsequently killed him by strangulation. And then after he was dead, Bunting made sure he was dead by jumping on his chest a few times. Um, 
Yeah, just to make sure he's dead. And Velasquez said on stand that they were both laughing. And he said, he, I don't know if he was laughing, too. He didn't say that. Um, but afterwards, Velasquez was told to go get large garbage bags, gloves, and a barrel um, where they placed used remains. And Velasquez testified that Bunting had to cut off, uh, he had to cut off his ankle so he'd fit in the barrel. And the barrel that Ude was placed in is actually the smallest barrel because they couldn't find the same size. So all of the barrels except for Ude's were pretty large and that's why they had to cut pieces off. Um, so then, uh, the Frederick Brooks, um, was the next victim. He was an intellectually disabled son of uh, Jody Elliott, and this was the nephew of Elizabeth Hayden. And he was murdered by all three men on September 17, 1998. Um, he, his body was moved to a car, which Hayden eventually picked up, and then um, they they put into a bank vault. Um, and this was later found by police. Um, and Mark Hayden actually kept receiving the welfare payments of Brooks since he was disabled. So he was getting disability checks for a long time before they were actually, or I guess a year before they were caught. Um, the next victim was Gary O'Dwyer. He was a 29-year-old disabled man. Uh, he had a really bad car accident earlier in life and left him with a traumatic brain injury. So he was um, severely disabled. Um, and Bunting had Velasquez manipulate him into getting information about him to see if he had family, see if he was getting payments from the government. Um, and then that's when Bunting said he was an easy target. And like, I think, Anna, you had said the last of the victims were just thrill kills. Yeah. They weren't guised in, you know, oh, you can't like gay people or anybody. Well, they weren't uh, under the guise of vigilanteism or even a hate crime. They were literally just... I haven't killed anyone in a while, and you're here, and I don't think you'll be missed. And I just think it's totally got to keep on digging. Yeah, yeah, they really, they really did. They just totally like went off the. I mean, they were already off the rails. But with this guy, he did literally nothing wrong. I know, like, I'm not blaming any of the victims for the wrongdoings that they may or may not have done in their lifetime. But this guy was just completely an innocent victim in all of this. He just had a mental uh, or intellectual disability. And they chose to torture this guy. Um, I think his torture was worse than anybody's. Um, you can look it up yourself, but he had burn marks and they used electric shocks to different various sensitive parts of the body. Um, some reports say that there was a sparkler stuck somewhere, very sensitive. Uh, a penis urethra. Yeah. Like, and, hey, sparklers are no joke. Those are the hottest burning um, fireworks out of all of them. 
and yeah. they're loved by children and old people. Yes, they are. <laughs> yeah, and, they're hot. And brides who want to get fancy after their wedding and not throw birdseed or rice. Yeah, just <laughs> light it up. Just don't my light anyone on fire. My sister's first marriage. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> that is, they did have sparklers. Oh, nice. Hunting approved. Sorry. <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh God! Yeah, just don't put it in anybody's. You know what? <laughs> uh, Bunting was still uh, in the middle of his murders when uh, she got married. She got married in '97. Oh shit! He was in prime time. Yeah. Well, I guess it was a little earlier. Uh, no, prime time. Hmm. Um, and then we'll get to. I think I'm on the last one. I believe you are. Yeah, this was this was so fucked up. Um, but David Johnson, who was the stepbrother of Velasquez, was the last victim. Um, he. This was so sad. So Johnson was also the stepfather of. Hold on, no. There, okay, so there's there's a, like a little triangle going on, but Johnson was the half brother of Troy, and the step brother of Velasquez. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So. Um, Sounds like my family tree. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Mississippi. <laughs> we are from Mississippi. Yeah, we are. But, yeah. <laughs> Um, so his, he lured his stepbrother, um, to that bank in Snowtown where all the bodies are stored. Um, he, he decided to tell him there was a computer for sale and Vlaskis had told him earlier that he was trying to start, uh, I think like college or something. So he needed a, um, laptop. I can't remember what was said. Uh, Velasquez said, oh, yeah, well, there's one um, in Snowtown, so we can go look at this computer. Um, it, it, Velasquez said shortly after Johnson entered the building, uh, Wagner grabbed him around the throat and then strangled him. And then Wagner applied handcuffs to him, and he was forced to read a script um, that Bunting had prepared. Uh, he also made him confess to crimes he didn't do. Um, and he also had him provide them with his, all of his financial information, including his pen. Um, they get, he had to give up his wallet, um, to Wagner. And that's when he, I don't know how he was killed. I didn't put that in my notes, but. He was so bad. He was dismembered. And then they cut off pieces of his body and started eating it. So that there, did they? Yeah, they went straight cannibal. Yeah. So to um let's go back a little bit. They actually um the Sarkis and Wagner drove off with the ATM card to go see if the pin was correct. And when I returned, he was dead. So Bunting yeah. killed him by himself. Yeah. That oh, was, okay. 
his own job. And then once he was dead, while they dismembered him, they took a bit of his flesh and walked to a friend's house that was located across the street from the bank. And they actually fried it up and shared it in three. Oh, they said it was a wombat. That's right. No, 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 a a, a roux. I think they said it was roux meat. Oh, Oh, okay. Maybe roux. Sorry, I'm getting all little curly creatures. They are very similar creatures. Right? No. They, they're they related, but they don't look alike. Well, yeah. No, yeah. They, a wombat are... looks like a little furry four-legged thing with a kangaroo. Upright. Yeah, it's like a, it's sort of like a midget kangaroo. No, no, no. <laughs> that's that's, that's what I mean. Uh, we they're marsupials. They're both marsupials, but they don't, you, you wouldn't mistake one for the other. A oh, wallaby right. is a type of kangaroo, where a wombat's something different. Right. They'll, they look those, like those happy things that smile at people. Oh, yeah, yeah, no. I was thinking of the wallaby, not the wombat. Okay, I was thinking about the wallaby as well. Okay, yes, yeah, so the wombat is more, I don't know, a cute platypus, but <laughs> that's a bad Kind of. Uh, without the beak. No, that's a platypus, yeah. And the one wombat doesn't have a beak. It, it literally looks like it could be a little dog, I suppose. It's a four-legged, fat little thing that waddles around. It's very cute. Event, they were not eating wallaby or wombat or kangaroo. Uh, <laughs> human flesh, yeah. Oh, God. Post a picture of a wombat on the Instagram, guys. <laughs> I, okay, if I was that girl, I would never trust anybody with food. I would have to cook it myself for the rest of my life. Absolutely. Like, 100%. Yeah, like, I would just... You know, this makes myself. me think of, this makes me think of, there's oh. a secret in my soup where they fed the girl to the neighbor down the street. Oh, or the, down the hall. Like, like, oh, my belly hurts. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that was fucked up. Um, oh, but another thing they did that was super fucked up um, involving Johnson, other than eating him, they actually went to... Um, Marcus Johnson, who was uh, David Johnson's dad, and Velasquez came to him um, before, like right before his body was found, and said that they said that David was in hiding and had sent them to collect his things. Um, and Johnson actually testified saying, I helped Robert Wagner and James Velasquez pack up a rack full of designer jackets and tops and other clothing. And he said he felt the convicted man and showed no contrition. He said, I've been looking at them for the last two and a half to three months, and I feel there's no remorse there, none at all. So his dad was giving that recording saying he had confessed to all these crimes. So when they came to him and said that he was in hiding due to the crimes, he actually believed them and gave all away, like gave a lot of his things away to them. Just super fucked up. Just to have power, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And it's just so, so bad. But um, Bunting was convicted of 11 murders even though he's thought to have killed 12. Um, all of them received different sentences. Um, I don't have great notes on all the sentences, if any of you want to interject. Um, but Yeah, I, 
Um, yeah, Bunting and Wagner got got off uh, hardest, speak, but because Wasaki's helped, he he got a reduced sentence. But he's very much, um, it, it, he's very much protected because he he turned state um, witness. So he, there's not much known about him. Where Wagner was actually recently, he wanted to get out on parole, and it was denied. Yeah, he asked to see his son. But he also said that there's no point into apologizing to the families as well. Like when, when they asked him if he would like to apologize or whatever, he was like, what's the point? Yeah. And the only like quotes he's ever said to the public were pretty like just abrasive and nonchalant. Like, I don't give a fuck pretty much. Like, I can't remember the exact words that he said. Yeah, I did it. Um, there's a photo of him where he's being taken away and he's flicking the bird. He's got the middle finger up. Yeah, yeah, that's like um, the only big picture of him. Yeah, <laughs> yeah uh, no remorse there. Yeah, and no. um, overall, they said that all these welfare and disability check payments from most of the victims total to around $95,000, and that was stolen from eight of the victims. Because um, a lot of them weren't reported missing, so they weren't reported dead or anything else. So those payments were just coming in the form of a check, and each of them had stole different victims' identities. So they were just reaping all the benefits after these poor people were murdered. Um and there's a, a psychiatrist, like a, a it's from the FBI, I believe, um, Dr. Dietz, and they said that the motive was definitely financial due to the amount of the killers together, because that usually is a reason for multiple people to kill. Um, however, the suspects claimed it was just due to them, you know, wanting to kill uh, gay and um child molesters so which also those terms he interchange he used interchangeably to him a gay person was a child molester yeah he used I mean, anonymously yeah he, he didn't he didn't draw any distinction i also don't want to go down a rabbit hole of the nazis but they were really big on um getting rid of disabled and mentally handicapped and physically handicapped people as well it's it's funny too because i think um, I mean, and I can't say, but for Bunting, I think he liked himself to likened himself to Adolf. Uh, I think there was like, cause you know, there was the size being like really short. Um, and I, I think there's just this power that, that came from that. And then like, you know, like not to go down the Nazism as well, but like with, with an Aryan race, I think he was trying to go for his own by getting rid of disabled or getting rid of anybody that, that had something that was not pure or perfect in his eyes. Yeah, just yeah. on the small scale of Adelaide, not yeah. the exactly. entire world. <laughs> yeah, he yeah. was on his own small megalomaniac path. Yeah, in in his little uh, in, in his planet, he was the king. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, they all worshipped him like a king. Um, I mean, the first two that were, you know, perpetrators turned victims. Um, they were scared of him. But I feel like the people who really went along with him and jumped when he j said jump, like, they made it. But I think if Velasquez would actually have been, you know, more like, I'm not doing this, 
um, or more timid as he's portrayed in the movie and as he's portrayed, I guess, in the court, um, maybe he wouldn't have made it out. Yeah, and it was, I mean, when we recorded the script, remember, Noel, I actually had a lightning in there that said they they ran out of friends to kill, and we changed that because we said it was too insensitive. But that's the way it was. They ran out of people they knew to kill. Yeah. He would have eaten his own. Like, if they were to go on, it would have ended eventually, and he would have been the only one left standing, or unless somebody defended themselves to the point where they got him. Right. Yeah, I agree. Absolutely. Yeah, because the only way you can keep a secret between three people is if the other two are dead. Um, yeah. And I, I think that would have definitely been true if it would have continued. But luckily, the um, body of, okay, say his name, Trizzy's. So the body, when Trizzy's was found, he was actually the first victim found. Um, he was the first victim. He was the first victim found, but he was the last to be identified. Um, and if it wasn't for him being found, who knows how long they, you know, would have gone on. I mean, he was found, but then not identified until 1998. Yeah, man. But you got to feel for his family because that was such a long time of not knowing. I know, and, like, his mom didn't report him missing at first. Um, They weren't sure what had happened to him. And then they finally reported him missing, like, three years later. Um, And the only reason why he was identified is because of his parents. Yeah. And I can't imagine what they're feeling. No, Uh, not at all. It's it's something, too, or, like... I don't know, there's there's a sort of, I don't want to say the word loyalty, but, like, you sort of take care of your own no matter what. You know, like, there's the secretiveness yeah. about it. Like, um, and you would think even if you know that horrendous stuff is happening, like, well, out of sight, out of mind, or just shift my eye the other way. But also, again, he, he really preyed on their most vulnerable emotions. And it's true. They were all victims of abuse. And nothing was ever done about it. Now, finally, you get this guy who comes along and say, enough is enough. I'm going to do something about it. But right. he just picked people. And if he labeled them, that's all proof they needed. They believed him. He just decided someone was a molester or pedophile. They, they, they needed no proof. Yeah. There was no trial. And, it was just declared. It was just declared, and then they went along with it, and they got in so deep that they, I think, also got to a point of no turning back. But they were facing their own demons, not to excuse what they did at all. At any point, I mean, you know murder is wrong. But he just used used that emotion in them, that anger, that thing, that that demon that they've been carrying, and he mobilized it. He lit the spark that... Uh, he yeah the, he ignited the fire. Yeah, and I mean, really, if you think about it, he had one, two, three, four, five, six, possibly eight accomplices at some point or another. Because there was Wagner, who became his friend in 1991, um, and then there was Hayden, who only ever um, pleaded guilty to helping them dispose of the bodies. 
Um, then there was Velasquez, and then there was Elizabeth Harvey that was never uh, put on the stand because she died of cancer. Um, then there was also um, uh, Barry Vanessa Lane who helped in uh, hiding the first victim, and then also Thomas Trevelyan. Um, he was he assisted in the murder of um, Lane. And then there was also Jody Elliott, which I had briefly touched on them before. And that's the sister of Hayden's wife. Yeah. Right. So Elizabeth Hayden. Yeah. And was also a very tragic victim in this whole scenario. Yeah, and she was mentally disabled as well. Um, yeah. And she was forced to impersonate Suzanne Allen. So Elliot and Bunting were both um, collecting Suzanne Allen, who was the one whose kid, grandkids were molested. Right. Um, they, she pretty much assumed her identity to still get those checks. Mm-hmm. You know, you also got I'm also, you know, and I asked Sonia this. How come there's so much mental disability amongst the group as well? Like, like everybody Praying on the seems to have, you know. Yeah, it um, is. But it I just think seems that in this, like there's so much, so many there in that one. And I'm, I'm not saying in that one area, but if it was a wall of spiders, it's like every all the wall of spiders were mentally disabled. He pointed them yeah, out as homosexual it, pedophiles. You know, it's it's right. yeah. I mean, it is really a broad brushstroke to say, but I think there there was a lot of um, drug use in there, drug use during pregnancy, drug use from a young age. And I think a lot of the disabilities emanated from that. Okay. Yeah, and so it's a socioeconomical play, a group. And I mean, and that, that is exactly that element of it that also um, made the Australian public, your average Joe on the street, very uncomfortable to know that that is people live like that. Right? Yeah. And I'm not sure if it's, uh, like this in Australia or if it was at this time um, but since all of them were on disability or welfare um, there's like housing um, yeah. like areas in the U.S. like housing projects like section 8 mm-hmm. yeah like section 8 mm-hmm. housing so I'm wondering if they were all in this small little area together because they were um, disabled and um, on welfare and using the uh, state-funded housing facilities. I'm not sure how it was there, yeah. but most likely, yeah, they do have council housing. So that that is a good point. That is probably why it was all grouped together in a postcode. If you want to put a boundary around, it. yeah, because they're it's all like a block. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, but I. I think that ties it up for what I got. I believe so. Um, so let's wash this away and have yeah. our chatty <laughs> segment that makes us feel better about everything because we just talked about horrendous things. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm going to have a shower now. <laughs> yes. I'm going to um, hug my doggy. So basically what we do in this segment is we just kind of talk about um, media that we've consumed in the week. Uh, um, recommendations, if you will. Uh, so, Morgan, you can start us off. 
Oh, why do I always have to start? I suck. Um, I don't know because I don't want to be the one to go. Let me tell you what I did first. <laughs> um, like I said last time, I've just been watching trash TV. Uh, a lot of trash TV and a lot of animal documentaries. The balance. <laughs> I usually take bad. Yeah, I usually like hate reality shows, but this like police show the 60 days in um it makes me so mad about our prison system and how fucked up it is um and i just think it's crazy that we have the highest number of incarcerated people in the entire world Uh, Uh, because we make money off of it i know and it's so fucked it's so fucked this is a whole rabbit trail that this is a whole Yeah, we can go down a real long (laughs) rabbit hole on that that we do not have time for. No, no, no. I I just... (laughs) 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 Yeah, so I've just been watching that show, getting upset, and then switching to, like, um, uh, animal documentaries or something like that. So, yeah. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) Excellent. Noel, have you uh, watched or read anything good or something? Uh, I mean, to be completely honest with you, I haven't seen anything that makes me want to stand up and say, oh, I've been watching this. Just sort of your typical lighter fare, like, like for instance, just, maybe, I'm sorry. Just as a side note, Noel's been in lockdown since the beginning of July. So, ah. <laughs> so everything um, becomes a bit meh, doesn't it? Yeah, no, it's true. And I mean, like, I'm a fan, like, uh, like there's certain shows that my partner and I watch that we haven't finished things from like Alienist. Uh, I wanted to start watching Yellowstone to see if that's worth it. Um, and then all the Rick and Morty's and things like that. Um, but yeah, I mean, not to, not to, um, promote, I'm spending more time trying to create as opposed to intake, if that makes sense. And I'm not trying to sound like a wonder or, or anything, but, um, you know, it's, it's like all my days, for the majority outside of things is trying to create films or write feature scripts and, and things of that nature. So um, I, 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 if it's just me myself, I might watch something because I'm trying to, you know, I'm trying to take it in more as an observer as opposed to just watching a movie, uh, especially all the latest horror, which is probably more of a complaint than it is, <laughs> um, you know, honoring, but there, there's certain things like, um, you know, I, I recently watched something called um, the dark and the wicked thought that was pretty good. Um, I've not seen that. It's not that. It's a Shutter thing. Um, I would also say, in comparison, saw something um, from Neil Blomkamp, Demonic. Thought that was terrible. Uh, not to take anything away from his films, but yeah, that was terrible, <laughs> in my opinion. Oh, um, I love so, Neil. Oh uh, no, he's good, and that's the thing. It's like, well, you you know, like you get a green light, man. Like brush it off your shoulders. You try to do something in lockdown. Doesn't make it good. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I wish I made something that was shit in lockdown that the world is able to see as a feature. So, you know, just, you do, you do what you do. So as far as, um, yeah, just watching things, um, a lot of that does come down to like almost being a job, but when it comes down to like, let me just get away from that. It's more things like Grace and Frankie and things like that. So yeah, um, sure. yeah you know, <laughs> that's me. <laughs> Excellent. Nice. Okay. Um, well, I, I think before we ask Sonia, I'll go into what I've been up to. Um, so, 
I'm still watching The Americans. I'm still doing that uh, rewatch. I'm into. I'm finally into the territory where I'm not seeing new things. I'm in uh, like the last half of season four. So no, I mean where I am seeing new things. I'm past where I got the first time. So uh, I think I'm gonna finish that uh, probably in the next month or so, and that'll be good. Um, I'm super excited because uh, I saw that on Xbox Game Pass. That they recently remastered, or I guess just completely redid, uh, a version of the computer game from the 90s, Mist. Do any did of they? They did. What? It's, no. Okay. It's on I got Game Pass. I, I, I got to go look at that. <laughs> yes. I downloaded it. I am going back through it. And I'm succeeding far better now than I was when I was nine doing it the first time. Wow. <laughs> okay, yeah, I didn't know that. That's I'll, a blast from the past. Yes, the graphic updates are beautiful. <laughs> I and... hope they're better than the first one. <laughs> well, I mean, at the time, those were groundbreaking graphics. Yeah. I mean, you know do you remember how comes. beautiful Riven was? Yeah. Yeah. That was great. Anyway, it's beautiful. I'm really, in, really enjoying it. Um, the puzzles are still challenging even as an adult, but they are coming a lot easier. <laughs> I'll tell you what, I'm gonna, have you heard of 12 Minutes? That's the next thing, If I, once I partake of gaming again, because um, I allow myself to game, I just, I just need to be productive before I l- allow it. Um, but I really want to try this 12 Minutes game, if you've heard of that. I've not heard of 12 Minutes. What's it about? It's like a time loop, but it's got, like, um, Daisy Ridley from Star Wars voicing it, James McAvoy is voicing it, Willem Dafoe is voicing it, but it's like a time loop of 12 minutes. That's a talented little game. And the thing is, it's like a a top-down view. It's supposed to be a time loop, but it's about a crime. So, like, I guess you got to solve this crime, and you got to start – every time you find something new, it changes the time loop, but it's always – I I don't know. That's – I might be giving it a bad um, explanation. Oh, that's so cool. It's, it's on intrigued. Game Pass, so um, okay. yeah, you might want to check it out. <laughs> yeah, that sounds good. I got Game Pass this month purely to play Miss, but I uh, I might check that out too. Oh, that's another rabbit trail. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> I got to go ahead to um, take off my wrist brace, by the way, for my carpal tunnel surgery, so I can play video games now. That's Yay, why I've been watching trash on. TV. <laughs> You are eager to do something with your hands since you've not had use of it for a while now. Yeah, no. Getting back to the hand jobs. No, I'm just kidding. kidding. AKA writing, yes. (laughs) Yeah, that's a hand job, right? Writing? Yeah. For your hands. Hand job. (laughs) Uh, Sonia, what have you been up to? Uh, well, so we, we've we've gone into lockdown a bit later than Noel because we we live um, about an hour or what apart. Um, so yeah, same same sort of thing where you you get uh, streaming fatigue. Uh, but uh, late to the party, American Vandal. Been watching with my daughter. They just started high school this year, so that's been enjoyable. Oh, um, have you one where they it's like um, a parody yeah. on Netflix? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So they um they investigate pranks. Yeah. 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 Pranks, but it's done in all seriousness. It's very well done. And then um a little bit of Arrested Development to feel sane. Always good. 
Oh Always God. good. I forgot about the American Vandal. That's like the fart bandit or something. Yes. Yeah, the 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 Craig Bagler. Yeah. Right. It's quite enjoyable. And then always, I'm always watching if ever I can find a Scandi drama or something in, in anywhere in Scandinavia with uh, the bridge or the killing or anything like that. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Wallander for the fourth time. <laughs> oh, Wallander, I can just watch it on repeat. Uh, you know what? I've gotten to the point where Scandinavian procedurals are the only procedurals I want to watch. Yeah. Yeah, I really, really like what the Scandinavians are putting out. I didn't. There's know a layer it. of darkness to it that you just never really get on American TV, I feel like. Yeah, and everything looks better, really. I mean. You know, like, I think, though, you could pro- potentially parallel something if, if it was in the Pacific Northwest or, or Northeast or something like that. Absolutely. But, but yeah, Scandinavia, though, they have they just have a different take on things as well. Um, yeah. Go Norway. <laughs> yeah, it's beautiful. Yeah, and I'll, I'll shout out the Norsemen. Oh, I love that show. Oh, wow. Yeah, I, did. <laughs> I discovered last Christmas that I'm about 23%. Norwegian, according to my DNA. Oh, fantastic. Yes. You should go there and find your ancestors. You know what? One of my my (laughs) childhood friends actually married a Norwegian man and lives over there, so I could just go visit her, too. Hey, just go over there and be like, hey, what's up? And knock on their door. I mean, I definitely mention it first. Do you go in the winter to see potentially see the northern lights, or do you go in the summer when it's much nicer than the winter? <laughs> oh, or just okay. stay the whole time and see both. Or that. <laughs> or you can do that. So as long I as think... there's a lot of hand jobs to be had. <laughs> <laughs> I really want to see the northern lights, honestly. Yeah. Um, even though I know it would be frigidly cold, but also, as our listeners know, because I've mentioned it more than once on the show. But I really want to go to Svalbard. Oh yeah, I'm obsessed. Svalbard, yes. I'm obsessed with Svalbard. <laughs> I want to go visit the uh, the seed vaults. I want to see polar bears. I want to no, drink a lot of vodka. I don't know if you can get into the seed the seed vault. You can't get into it, but I can literally physically see it in person. Wow. Svalbard, just for, just for uh, clarity, that is where you don't need a visa or anything, and you can just you can just pack down, you can pack up, and you can just stay, right? Oh, I don't know if that's necessarily true, but it is a place that has a lot of people from around the world living there. Okay. Uh, I know there is a place, and I was I might be confusing it, but I'm not sure if that's the same place. I thought that's the place where they have to make sure that you have no wisdom teeth. What? Hmm. Yeah, because what? there's there's no like dentist and they can't afford the antibiotics or something. Um, maybe that's the the research station in Antarctica. I think that is true. I don't know. I read that in a book and it's actually a thing. Um, it's uh, the uh, what happened to Bernadette or something. Oh wow! Where are you, Bernadette? Yeah, they talk about- they, made, they made a movie about that book with uh Kate Blanchett, right? Yeah, I didn't I didn't see the movie but Where'd you uh, go, Bernadette? I think Yeah, that's it. Where'd you go, Bernadette? They they talk about you have to have like a you have to have oral surgery to remove your wisdom teeth because you can't Oh, it's the South Pole. I'm an idiot. 
Well, I mean, that is Antarctica. No. No. <laughs> Antarctica is South Pole, yes. Is yes. it? Yes. That's what we're oh, <laughs> <laughs> The Arctic is way up there. Norway. If you spin the globe the other way around. <laughs> Well, I don't know. Poles are going to reverse eventually. Then yeah. you'll be right. <laughs> yeah, right. There's another. There's a series that's really good. It's called Norway the Musical, and I don't know if you know about it, but it is absolutely hilarious. They, it, they. I'm not necessarily a fan of musicals, but it's a satire about big events that had happened in Norway. So each episode is about a specific event. For instance, when Justin Bieber went to um, have a concert there and someone spilled water on the stage and he left and he left Norway the next day. He didn't even finish his concert. <laughs> what a dick. So, so it was literally the whole episode was about the build-up of Bieber coming, the security <laughs> contingent, and, and they make a comedy out of it, and it's it's really extremely funny. I'm going to have to watch that. That sounds yeah, great. Yeah, you can find it. Oh, I have my ways. <laughs> <laughs> not, not to be divulged. <laughs> not to be divulged. Can I ask you, you gals, to um, potentially check out some short form content? <laughs> Just oh, yeah. while we're at it. Now, I, uh, no, I, um, I'm a part of a collective who does horror films, and we they're only one minute long, so it definitely won't waste much of your time. Although I would like to at least waste oh, yeah. a of your time. Uh, send me links. I will write about them on one of the sites that oh, I awesome. write for. Awesome. Oh, yeah, we've been doing it for about a year now, so October will be the year anniversary. And lockdown is – it's been nice to be able to do it, but it's also be providing, obviously, challenges now. So we're going to have to pull something out of our ass. But, no, I, I would, I'd be interested to see if, if um, you guys as horror fans um, like it. And if you hate it, let me know as well, and I will cry on my own time. Oh. <laughs> Yeah, no, yeah. shoot me some links. I would love to review them. Okay, you will love him. He's a very talented filmmaker. He's an award-winning filmmaker. Oh, yeah, well, so is Sonia, so don't let her, don't let her lie. <laughs> <laughs> Can we share the award? We have to say share with the award. <laughs> Where is the award? Where's our baby? Is it with you at the moment, No, I know. Yes, I'm looking at it right now. Mike, and I say definitely. <laughs> You're just looking at it right now, like cleaning it off. <laughs> it's <just> literally. <laughs> All right, guys. Um, I think that's it for this episode. Um, do you guys want to plug your podcast before we leave? Go for it. No. Oh, that's me doing it. Okay. Yeah. Um, uh, for anybody who likes true crime and and just um just a story, just a simple story about how things have transpired, just very matter of fact, uh, with the respect given to the victims. And um, check out the Evidence Locker. Uh, we release weekly. I think for the um, for the next coming months, we'll be releasing uh, bi-monthly. But, um, but yeah, uh, the Evidence Locker, just a simple Google, you'll find it. Excellent, excellent. Uh, highly recommended by me. I've been listening to them almost since the beginning. Uh, I look forward to their new episodes every time. Yeah, I came in a little too late, but highly, highly recommend them. But Thank you so much. It's never it's too late to start listening. It's been yeah. a pleasure meeting you guys, and we're looking forward to what you will put out there in the future, too. Ah, uh, thank yeah. you. And uh, please uh, link your guest experience on your socials. 
help us get the word out about ourselves. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely, we'll do it. Excellent. And I will okay. be linking you to some horror films. So yes. make Excellent. sure you let me know whether you like it or not, and I will be quiet. <laughs> <laughs> I will so give excited. you my true, honest opinion. And Anna, you better send those over to me. If, I will, Morgan, I promise. Because I don't remember our email password. <laughs> well, uh, I, guess, I will send I'm, it to you. I can send the link here, right? Oh, yeah, you can send the link here if you have um, it. Sorry, guys, in podcast land, this is, this is uh, <laughs> internal. <laughs> <laughs> okay, excellent. Um, we'll get it all sorted out off mic. Uh, we'll, we'll see you guys um, in September. I don't know what we're doing yet, but we have more guests and more fun and more gruesome crimes. Fun and gruesome crimes. That's what we all live for these days. <laughs> it's true. All right. And, and really good or bad horror movies, depending on which one we pick. <laughs> Absolutely. There's something to be had in them all, though. <laughs> yeah. uh, we can guarantee to show you something bad and something good uh, in the future. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Uh, au revoir. Later. Later. Later, guys. Bye-bye. We'll see you. Bye. Bye.